We find ourselves in 1 Samuel tonight, coming, coming out of, like I said before, the, the dark ages, as it were, of Israel in the time of the judges. Uh, if you recall, we had Ruth in the middle, but Ruth happened when the judges were judging, uh, a Hebrew idiom, when the judges judged. And so uh, Samuel, that last judge, is now on the scene when we come into this first part uh, of the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, If you look to your context portion of the handout, you'll see there are some different names for this book that I think are very helpful for us uh, as we see kind of the context of entering into uh, what what are are going to be a a large and long uh, narrative portion of the Old Testament, uh, 1st and 2nd Samuel, uh, 1st and 2nd Kings. It's it's all one. It's a continued story all the way through. Uh, We're not going to do all four of them tonight, though. We're just going to do the first quarter, uh, 1st Samuel, as it is here in our English Bibles. The theme of the book of 1st Samuel God reveals his plan of salvation for his people through the anointed of Israel, that is, the kings of Israel, culminating in the anointed one to come, Jesus himself. Let's pray with this in mind and see what God might have for us in the book of 1 Samuel. Heavenly Father, we do come to you thankful again for your word. We come thankful for the fellowship that we have because of your spirit. Uh, Lord, you have quickened us to life, and you have quickened us to a life that is not lived alone. You have quickened us to a life that is lived in community with one another. And so, Father, we thank you that we're here tonight in the middle of the week uh, at Centennial ARP Church. Father, we know that you are in this and that you are the one who have led us here, uh, that you called us here in the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we open up your word to 1 Samuel tonight, May we see what you might have for us, your sovereignty and your will, the monarchy uh, being birthed, uh, King Jesus being revealed. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Yes. That, <laughs> well, we, we left off with Joseph in the Sunday morning sermons. Uh, <laughs> We, 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 were in, we were with Joseph in, uh, in Genesis on, on Sunday morning. We, we ended with Ruth last Wednesday. Am I going crazy? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. No. We're, we're, we're right in line. I have, I, have done nothing, I have done nothing untoward with the, uh, with, with the chronology that we are following. Uh, we, we ended with Ruth last time. That was two weeks ago, though, because last Wednesday was a chili cook-off, and now we come to 1 Samuel, which, which, is, which is actually finally continuing the time. Ruth paused us in time. And so, and so you know, as, as Joshua died and the judges came onto the scene, we had progression of time, and then pause. Ruth is in the judging time, and now press play again. We're now continuing uh, uh, years are starting to progress again. It's, it's easy to do. We're, we're all Old Testament right now, but if y'all stick it out, we'll be back in the New Testament when we finish with Joseph. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, okay. So, uh, the book of Samuel, the book of First Samuel, uh, there, there's a lot of things there. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily uh, the biggest book in the Bible. Uh, uh, there are many many more books in the Old Testament, particularly with, with a ton of chapters more. Uh, but there's a lot of meat in 1 Samuel. So it's going to be the same in 2 uh, Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. And so because of that, we need to remember the purpose. I say it every time. You should be able to say it for yourselves. But I continue to say it because it's very important so we don't leave disappointed. The goal is, uh, is, is such that we might be able to go and read the book of 1 Samuel for ourselves after hearing this with a bit more confidence. Uh, That's my desire. And so uh, as we kind of quickly zoom, that's what it will feel like, is that we're zooming through this narrative and you think, man, we only spent 30 seconds on David and Goliath. 
Well, it's because then now, with these things in mind, you can go to the book uh, of 1 Samuel chapter 17 and read in entirety the narrative of David and Goliath. And perhaps, uh, if God might so bless us, uh, glean even more after we've studied uh, in this overview fashion, this thematic fashion tonight, this book. And so remember this purpose. Uh, This one is going to feel like we're zooming because it's important to see the flow of the narrative. Uh, That's the that's the uh, genre that we're in is narrative. It's not poetry. Uh, It's not short. This is a hero story. Uh, What movies are made of? Uh, uh, This is this is great literature and it's true narrative. Uh, And so uh, with that in mind, the the, the purpose, the, the goal of this we need to remember where we're, where we're going. And, and part of that is because we find ourselves with, with Samuel and then with, with King Saul for a little while and then with a beginning with King David. And at the end of 1 Samuel, it's going to feel like we cut it off and we press pause because we do, because it actually picks up the narrative in 2 Samuel chapter 1. It's just really one long book. And so we need to remember that, 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 God's, that God's redemptive plan from the beginning, and so we see in Genesis God calling Abraham, promising the, the, the land of milk and honey, Canaan. Uh, he also promised that he would make of Abraham a, a whole multitude of nations, right? Uh, that the nations would be blessed by Abraham. And so as we continue forward in this, and Abraham's family is growing, they have this, this Egyptian excursion. And they're in Egypt. And then some bad things happen, and they're oppressed in Egypt. And then there's an exodus, right? Uh, And by the same name, the book itself, the book of Exodus, we we see God's hand of of serious deliverance, of of true and utter miraculous deliverance. Uh, We see um, a hail raining down, fire in the sky, smoke in the sky, uh, manna raining from heaven, all of these miracles playing themselves out. Uh, all to reveal God's purpose of salvation, namely in Jesus. And then as God's people are continuing to grow and to develop into a nation, law is given. More law is given. Uh, The way to worship is given. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, a little bit. Also how to live in Deuteronomy, the law. And and as we continue the story forward, uh, there is conquest finally of that promised land promised so long ago. To Abraham. And so now the land is, is taken, but sin remains because we are a sinful people. And so we fall again into sin. And there's a redemptive narrative still happening because judges are popping in out of nowhere. And they're, and they're raised up, filled with the Spirit. And they save these pockets of people, of God's people, and all of the different tribes and nations. And as they're going around in this, in this large, disunified Israel... God is working. And then we get a whisper of a monarchy in the book of Ruth. It's placed there on purpose in our English Bibles because it screams at us, pay attention for David. Pay attention for the monarchy to come. Pay attention for the unity that comes through the king. And so then we come to 1 Samuel. And and Samuel raises up, uh, uh, um, uh, by God's grace, Samuel raises up uh, uh, the the unity of Israel. And and Israel is unified all of a sudden. And that's where we start. It's with this boy Samuel at first, but the man Samuel who unifies Israel. And then we'll continue forward this narrative. uh, And when we get to the end, hopefully you'll see where we're going with the monarchy. But we need to see three things as we march through 1 Samuel with this backdrop in mind because it's vital to understand why all of this stuff is happening. The first thing we need to see is Samuel setting the stage. He's the prophet and he's the last judge. He sets the stage for the monarchy. Uh, Remember the theme that God reveals his plan of salvation for his people through the anointed of Israel, the kings of Israel, culminating in the anointed one to come, Jesus. Well, Samuel sets the stage for all of that by God's grace. That's the first thing we need to see. Uh, uh, The second thing we need to see is Saul and then David. Saul is the first king of Israel. David is the second king of Israel. And yet, David is the true king of Israel, so you could say that David is the first king of Israel. We'll see all of that, but we start with Samuel. Uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, chapter 3 reveal kind of 
uh, Samuel's birth, his, his miraculous birth, his wonderful, uh, uh, the blessing from, lo- from the Lord, uh, giving Hannah a baby. Hannah being Samuel's mother, couldn't have babies. And yet, uh, uh, God saw her. Uh, God heard Hannah's prayer. Uh, For this child I have prayed, is what she says. And she sings as such. And she sets him apart to the Lord, uh, just as she had prayed before. And so, uh, Samuel finds himself in service to the high priest, Eli. Eli had a few worthless sons. That's in chapter 2. And that's not my words, those are scripture's words. He just had some worthless sons. Uh, They were sinful. They neglected God's people. And and, and so from the very beginning, there's this stage set. We're coming out of the dark ages. There is is the people of God. They are there. There are Boazes, if you remember Ruth. Uh, uh, There are men who are holding fast to scripture, who are going up yearly to the temple to worship. And yet, it's within the backdrop of a disunified Israel and one that is still highly sinful. Idolatrous, uh, they have lost themselves uh, to, the, to the culture and the people around them that they did not purge out of the land as God had commanded. And Eli's worthless sons are, are a great example of this. And it compares to, to Samuel uh, that, the, that God calls in chapter 3. And it shows that, that God is, is raising up uh, a, a purifier and unifier. If you recall the story, if you're, if you're familiar with 1 Samuel, if not, you know, Samuel's call, he's a little boy, and God literally calls him, Samuel, come here. And then he runs over to Eli. You called? No, I didn't, boy. Go back to sleep. Samuel, come here. Then he runs over. You called? Eli says no. And then he does it again. Samuel, come here. And then Eli thinks to himself, ah, oh, this must be the Lord. And, and so the Lord's words were rare in that day, and so Eli didn't perceive it at first, and yet, as, time, as the, you know, the, the, he kept on coming in, uh, Eli realized what was happening and said, this time, uh, say, Lord, here I am. And so we, we see this call of Samuel. Uh, God's word uh, comes upon him. It, and just to let you know, the first part of this handout is, is um, just the context and the connection. The back has the solid rock verses. Uh, oh, I think I have it written there too. So if you can read, you saw that already. But, uh, and so, and you'll, you'll, so you'll see these in the solid rock verses. First uh, Samuel 3, verses 1 through 21, there's the third one down on the solid rock verses. The Lord called Samuel. And so we kept doing that. And then at the end of chapter 3, uh, we, we see uh, that, that, that Samuel grew. This is verse 19. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And remember, this is capital L-O-R-D, the personal name of God, Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. The Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, listen to that, all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba. So Dan, far north. Beersheba, the seven wells. That's down, down south. All right? So all Israel, from north to south, is, that's what's happening there, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so in, in the rareness of the word that happened previously, all of a sudden uh, Samuel, Samuel arises and the word of the Lord is now present. And everyone in Israel knows their ears are perking, as it were. But then that sin rears its ugly head, four through six, four through seven, really, the chapters are. And, and in this, uh, it's, it's an issue of idolatry, an issue of misunderstanding of what God does. They try to use God. They try to use the Ark of the Covenant uh, for their own victory rather than for God's victory. And this is going to be a theme that you'll see between Saul and David. They try to use God, and you don't use the creator of the universe without consequences. And consequences there was. Uh, there were. They, they, they were defeated. Severely so. The Ark of the Covenant, captured and gone. We see that in 5, 6, and 7. 
And so finally, uh, five and six, really, and it comes to the end, and they, they try to get rid of the ark because the ark is, uh, is a representation of God's manifestation on earth, and, and God doesn't do well with being captured. And so God casts judgment. He leaned hard on the people until on the Philistines until they released him back uh, to where uh, he rightfully belonged with his people, uh, where he desired to be with the people of Israel. Uh, this, this reality is, is showing the sinfulness uh, and the disunity uh, that, will, that will change almost immediately in chapter 7. Now, all of that is like the prologue. Samuel comes on the scene as a baby. Uh, all, all of a sudden there's a realization that enemies still surround them and that they're failing that they're sinning and that they're getting beat, that, that God is, is here and they've seen God work and yet he's not. What's going on? 1 Samuel chapter 7. This is verse 3. Samuel's judging Israel now. Uh, by the way, this is why we know he's the last judge. He judged, it's not, he's not sitting on a, uh, a courtroom bench. This is a judge like we see before he's ruling, as it were. Samuel said to all the house of Israel, this is verse 3 of chapter 7, and this is where, this is where the meat starts. There's meat previous, but, but it's prologue. It's building and building, as it were, uh, to, to begin something, and here it is. This is it. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Verse 4, so the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Uh, verse 5, Samuel said, gather all the people, I will pray for you. And he intercedes on their behalf, and he continues to pray, and he offers up burnt offerings. And then we get to verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. That's the stone of help, the rock of help. We sing songs about that Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. And so the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Uh, verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. There's this reality that's playing itself out now, just like we saw in Judges. Samuel is a judge. He's not in the book of Judges. He's in the book of 1 Samuel. But the cycle continues. The people had fallen into sin. They were subjugated by the Philistines uh, because, because of what they had done. God had chastised them. If you were here for that, if not, go back and listen to it. There's a cycle that plays out, and it's playing out here for a final time. And so now they're in deep despair. They cry out, and God, uh, they cry out in repentance, and God saves them. God reveals himself. He, he, he himself, through thunderous cries, scatters the Philistines before them. And Samuel judges them in truth and righteousness. But the story doesn't end there because the people actually fall into sin again right after that. Chapter 8, they want a king. Not only do they want a king, though, they want a king to judge us like all the nations. And that's the problem, because Samuel said, Lord, I don't know what to do with these people. I'm going to keep praying for them, but they've gone against me. And God said, no, Samuel, they haven't gone against you. They've gone against me, because they want a king to usurp my authority of heavenly and true righteousness and justice. See you soon, darling. <laughs> Isaac was smiling on the way out. He knew that... Uh, he was going. He, he didn't have to listen to me yelling anymore. Um, uh, but but, but th there was a moment of repentance and redemption. And, and it seems like things could have moved forward with Samuel. And yet the people were, were desirous to have a monarchy in place. 
to, to set up and, and to rule moving forward. And the reason was because Samuel's sons were not as righteous as he was. And they were not judging as righteous as he was. It was, in truth, a, a faux monarchy. And it wasn't working. And, and so they said, well, we want one like everybody else. That was a sinful desire. And yet, God used that desire. Because God set up a monarchy uh, that, would, that would go through the ages all the way to the time of Jesus. Remember the theme of this book because this is where it hits and it doesn't stop. God reveals his plan of salvation for his people through the anointed one of Israel, culminating in the anointed one to come, Jesus and so, with Samuel rising up, culminating in this Ebenezer moment, God has been faithful to us. God has helped us. The people fall into sin again and are desirous of a king to judge them like the nations. And yet, God in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty knew that this was coming. You see this in the book of Deuteronomy, for instance, when God sets up rules for the kings. We went through the book of Deuteronomy. You can go back and find it. Uh, God says, listen, there are going to be kings. He needs to write scripture by hand. He needs to keep that scripture with him at all times to read it and to know it. We'll come back to that in 2 Samuel. It'll be very important uh, to see uh, some of David's weak, own weaknesses. But, but this reality is that, is that the people sinned, and yet in that sin, God already had an infinite and redemptive plan playing itself out uh, from before they were even conceived. And so in this moment, the own people's sinful desires would actually ultimately save them. Should we sin that grace might abound? By no means, and yet in God's infinite wisdom, uh, he works all things for good, uh, even uh, those sins that we find most heinous. Uh, and, and so it's in this atmosphere that Saul is called. And so, so Samuel, he's not going to leave. And so we don't need to forget Samuel. That's the first point, is that Samuel is the instigator. He is the one, by God's grace and by God's good purposes, has been raised up as the transition piece, the final judge, the prophet that would transition from the dark ages into the, to truly the glorious ages of Israel, the monarchy. And yet, uh, th this, this transition is going to be hard, and, and, and there's, this, there's this figure in the middle, and it's Saul, King Saul. Uh, there is a passage uh, that we'll come to about David. It's chapter 13, 14. You don't have to go there. But it's, it's, it's describing David as a man after God's own heart. I would say that an easy way to remember Saul is that Saul is a man after man's own heart. So Saul is called, uh, in, again, in God's ultimate wisdom, the wisdom of which we do not know and we cannot plumb the depths. Because Saul, though powerfully working for God's people, uh, is, is truly sinful. And we can see this through a few, a few examples. Uh, we won't go through all of them, but uh, Saul's disobedience is put on display in kind of two major passages. It's all throughout. It is a, a pattern that is undeniable. And yet there are two Ultimate moments, perhaps, that lend themselves uh, to study. Saul's sacrifice, chapter 13. So Samuel has come. He has, he has come, unified Israel uh, as it were. And uh, everyone knew about him and listened to him, at least, and respected him. Uh, and knew that he was speaking God's words to them. And so there's this semi-unity where there was no unity. Now Saul is here. And Samuel is saying, this is God's anointed one. And, and Saul, as the first king, is beginning to fight the Philistines successfully, beginning to protect certain cities, beginning to rule fairly well. And then they're under siege. Samuel can't make it to them. He wait, This is chapter 13, verse 8. They're under siege, and Samuel hasn't arrived yet uh, to intercede on the, on the army's behalf. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offerings, and he, and he offered the burnt offering. 
It seems so inconspicuous. It, it seems so minor, uh, 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 so detailless that we might continue through without thinking about it anymore. But the, u- the usurping of this role by Saul is borderline blasphemous. For Saul to think, though he has been called as king, for Saul to think that he could be the priest of purity before God, immense pride is revealed in the act. We, we might not see it with our 21st century language and eyes. We look and we say, yeah, he offered the burnt offering. He was just, you know, we pray our burnt offerings unto the Lord. We, we might kind of dismiss it. But this was a serious infraction, a serious moment uh, that he thought that he could do something. And he knew that he shouldn't have. And so the narrative continues, and and we'll just go down uh, a little bit. Uh, You continue forward, verse 13. Samuel finally arrives right after the sacrifice happens, of course. Uh, And this is what Samuel said to Saul, verse 13 of chapter 13. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now, this is an important moment. We've seen it in the Old Testament before. We'll see it again. It's vital to a reading of 1 Samuel because actions become very important all of a sudden. But there needs to be a plumbing of the depths under the actions. If we stop at the topical view of just the actions, we might think, ah, if Saul would have just done the right thing, he would have been saved. If Saul would have done the right thing, we wouldn't have needed David. But that wasn't the issue at hand. That's true. That's a true statement. If Saul would have done the right thing, he would have been the king forever. And yet, there's a deeper issue playing out, a heart issue. The reality that Saul was willing to go against God revealed that he was not a man after God's own heart. His desires were man's desires and not God's desires. This theme will continue forward. We'll look at one more example uh, from Saul's life, and it's, it's, his, it's his disobedience on display again. And this time, it's not in sacrifice. It's in preservation. Uh, Saul seems to do the wrong things, uh, the right things at the wrong time. Uh, uh, the Lord rejects Saul in chapter 15 outright. And the reason is, is that God had told him to kill everything. In a certain area, everything, down to the last bleeding sheep. And so he doesn't. He keeps the best of the sheep, uh, supposedly to sacrifice to the Lord. And he keeps the king or the ruler. And, and Samuel comes up and he says, hey, Saul, I hear sheep bleeding. What's the deal? Saul says, I kept them for the Lord. Oh, Really? Let's just read what Samuel has to say. This is verse 22. He kept them for the Lord to sacrifice. That's what Saul said. Verse 22 of chapter 15, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned, I've transgressed, and yet don't be fooled. Because as we continue as astute readers of the text, verse 30, uh, we, we might look at Saul in verse 24 and think, he's confessing his sin. We don't need to be so harsh on him. And yet, the pattern reveals Saul to be a man after man's own heart. Verse 30, this is what Saul said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. And return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. 
Uh, this reality of honoring before the people, of pleasing the people, of remaining in his place of authority shows that his repentance is but that of worldly repentance and regret. Uh, Paul himself in the New Testament speaks of this godly grief and worldly grief. And, and Saul is, is showing grief. And yet we see in the continued pattern of disobedience and lack of fruit uh, as, as, Samuel I mean, as Saul continues forward, uh, this just utter reality that he is not uh, um, in a place of desiring to glorify God. Uh, he, he is not, as David, a man after God's own heart. Now, there are many other uh, examples of this that we see with Saul. I'll just mention them quickly. Uh, uh, David and Goliath, Saul was sitting on the sidelines. David went and fought Goliath. Where was Saul? It's actually one that's not mentioned very often, and you should think about it. Uh, David comes a ruddy youth. That's how he's described. Uh, just a little shepherd boy compared to Saul, a mighty man of valor. And yet, Saul was sitting on the sidelines, unwilling even to the point of giving his own armor to David rather than go out onto the field of battle. What? That's one example. Uh, there's a comparison between Saul and Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son, and Jonathan loves David. Uh, one of the reasons that they have such a close connection is because they are both lovers of God himself. And so as they are loving God and as they are moving forward in fellowship together, they can't help but have their souls knit is how scripture reveals it. What a wonderful friendship, friendship that can only be had between those who are moving forward in the fellowship of God, a deep and lasting relationship, even past death itself. Uh, Jonathan and David, and yet right after that, this is, uh, this is in uh, uh, chapter 18. You'll see this on the, all of these things that I'm mentioning, you'll be able to find on your solid rock verse section of the handout. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 16, Jonathan and David have this close relationship, and yet Saul has great jealousy towards David to the point that he desires to kill him. Pride and envy reveal themselves in the heart of Saul, uh, even as he is God's anointed one, uh, the one that God has called for a unique purpose to preserve his people uh, through mighty deeds. Even so, even so. Saul reveals himself uh, in his actions and words. Uh, we see Saul's attempts to kill David. We see Saul dabbling with the dark arts, tries to raise Samuel from the dead and succeeds. Samuel says, what in the world are you doing? He died in chapter 25 later. He, he's raised. Samuel says, why are you disturbing me? The, uh, the medium, the, the necromancer, is raising Samuel from the dead. says, oh, what have you done? You've tricked me. A god is rising from the ground. Because what would you do if you were seeking to do something like that and a glorified body was coming your way? If you recall when Jesus was risen from the dead, when Jesus was transformed on the mountain, he shone with a great brightness, whiter than any white is what Mark says, whiter than the best of clean clothes uh, is what he's saying. It's, he he's, uh, can't see it, it's so bright. That glorification belongs to us as well. As we rise into heaven, we will be pure and beautiful without the, without the stench, as it were, and the dirtiness of the corruption of this world. So the medium herself says, what in the world have you done? Because Samuel is coming. He says, why are you doing this, Saul? You know that God has judged you. You know that he is no longer with you. Uh, Saul's attempts to kill, Saul's dabbling with the dark, dark arts, and then finally, Saul's tragic death. And we'll use Saul's death uh, to also reveal David. Uh, David, a man after God's own heart. Uh, Saul, uh, a man after man's own heart. Saul goes to battle and finally dies. Him and all of his sons and all his armor bearer and all of his people. That's the last chapter, chapter 31. How did he get there, though? He got there through the mercy of David. Because David saved him, not once but twice. Uh, as Saul was trying to kill David over and over, David refused to touch an anointed one. Now, there's a lot of depth to this reality. The first, the first moment is David's trust in the Lord. Uh, whereas Saul took things into his own hand and tried to usurp God at every turn, it seemed like. 
David trusted God to the point that the man who was trying to kill him with the power of a whole nation behind him, he preserved him because he would dare not touch an anointed of God. Now, that shows David's trust in God because David uh, uh, was not taking vengeance into his own hand, uh, doing anything like that. He was allowing God to, to work out his plan. And yet the truth is twofold because Listen, you don't need to touch one of God's anointed ones. Uh, We see this truth when it comes to Jesus. You know, the people who touched Jesus, the anointed one, to kill him, uh, they did not have very good ends. Uh, We confess it, right, at the hands of Pontius Pilate. uh, We see Judas and what happened to him. Uh, uh, These men are held accountable for what they did in touching an anointed one. David unwilling to do so because he knew that God would do what God needed to do. Uh, And so uh, that's just a quick example of David's trust. But let's go back a little bit. Uh, uh, David, a man after God's own heart. He's a shepherd, uh, the ruddiest of the boys uh, out in the field while all the other men are coming to hopefully be anointed. Well, God calls David. He says, don't look out on the outer appearances. Look what's on the inside. And that's, again, revealing this theme. Uh, Saul and David are put perhaps... I don't want to go too far, but perhaps for, for our own edification that we might see what it truly means for, for a David, a type of Christ to come on the scene. Not a man of great power, and yet the most powerful man you'll see in the whole book because he downs the giant, Goliath. Uh, And yet he's a ruddy boy. Don't look on the outside appearances, God says, as he calls David and as uh, Samuel anoints David. Uh, And that's in uh, 1 Samuel 16, by the way, as this this anointing of David. So there's two anointed ones at this point. Uh, Saul is on the battlefield now. Uh, Samuel anoints him. David just kind of is with Saul a little bit, but Saul doesn't really know. Uh, There's a little bit of of interesting play here where he's, he's playing music for him and Saul really likes it. But then Saul's wondering who he is after he kills Goliath. Uh, it's an interesting back and forth in 16 and 17. You should check it out. But, you know, then we get to chapter 17, and th- this is another good example of the depth that we need to get to for not only 1 Samuel, but all the books before it and all the books after it, including the New Testament. There there are wonderful applications. I mentioned it when we were going over Ruth, but it's important enough that we mention it again. And this is how we'll we'll see uh, uh, and conclude what we need to see in 1 Samuel particularly. It's that, that actions have consequences and that there are applications that we should take uh, from what these people are doing. And yet God is providing salvation for his people through the anointed of Israel. That's the theme, that God is is revealing this plan of salvation, that there's a depth beyond application to be courageous like David in the face of giants. Of course, be courageous. That's a good application. Who are your Goliaths? You know, perhaps it's your boss. You know, perhaps it's, you know, whoever it might be, your professor, uh, whatever, you know, the, the cute hallmark Christian application. It's good. It's a hallmark application for a reason. It's because it's good. And yet, the gospel is deeper than that. Uh, David isn't just going out and being courageous. Uh, David is highly offended that the people of Israel would allow this Philistine, this pagan, this Gentile to usurp God's glory and to claim that God is not the creator, the king of the universe, and in a place of all power. David is furious because David is a believer. And David cares enough and has the desires of God's heart enough that he, that he is enraged to the point that he says, oh, I'll go. I'll go. But he doesn't go because he's just courageous. He goes because he's confident. Uh, look at me. Look with me. Um, you know, there are so, so many wonderful moments of this theme in chapter 17. I'm just going to do this one. Um, let's see if we can find it. It's a big old chapter. So we're going down. Here we go. Verse 47. Let's, let's go up for some context for verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin? 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, not David's might, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all the assembly may know, the assembly being his people, that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And then, of course, when the Philistine arose, they go and, you know, hits him with the little rock and down goes Goliath. You know, so courageous, right? And it's fully confident. David knew that God would work on behalf of his people. He had a faith-based confidence. He had been anointed, yes. The Spirit of God had filled him in a particular way, yes. God was working on his behalf in a particular way, yes. We don't get to go up against giants now with slings. Uh, there are some tall people around us. Um, but I think Eric Moody, right, was played the role of Goliath in a children's sermon, right? Am I, is this true uh, when, when Calvin Todd was doing a children's sermon? But, uh, you know, Eric Moody, though he is tall, is no giant compared to Goliath. We just don't have them anymore. They're gone. And so we can't take a sling and sling it at this. But God was working in a particular way in, in his revealer of Jesus Christ, David, the anointed one. And he walked fully in confidence into the battle, not because he thought he could do it on his own, because this day it's the Lord's battle. Uh, here, here, are, here are the things. There's so much in Samuel. And, and it may have felt like we're jumping around, but remember these things. Samuel starts it. God calls Samuel in a miraculous way, raises him up. Pay attention to Samuel every time his name is mentioned because it's juxtaposed against the sinfulness of Israel. It, it's rising up and convicting Saul and should be convicting our own hearts of our own sinful disobedience, especially as we try to make excuses and think that we are obeying, not only in our mind, but in the eyes of everyone else. Yes, I saved these sheep to sacrifice unto the Lord as we fatten our own stockyards. Uh, uh, Saul's, Saul's uh, almost anti-revelation of who the Messiah should be, a man after man's own heart, is only more fully revealed as Samuel in what seems like every story of the book that Saul shows up in is, reve is revealing who Saul really is. Even when Samuel's dead, he reveals who Saul really is. And so when Samuel's name shows up, pay attention to it. God used Samuel in a mighty way. And then when we see Saul, just like I said before, pay attention to his anti-revelation. Saul reveals much. Uh, if you were to ask me if Saul was a believer, I would tell you that I don't know the hearts of men. And yet the fruit that I see here would lend me to a certain, uh, a certain moment of not judgment, uh, but... Hmm, we see what God has revealed to us. And at the end, we see not only that Saul died, but that by Samuel's own words, God had departed from him and was never with him to begin with. He used Saul, and yet the spirit of the Lord departed. Um, and then David. David rising up as this figure, and he is revealing Jesus Christ in a mighty way. David is the anointed one here, who a man after God's own heart, who is humble, who is zealous for the Lord, who trusts in the Lord. He is a sinful man, and we'll see that in 2 Samuel, which is a continuation of this book. Uh, he is not perfect by any means, but he reveals Jesus Christ to us time and time again as he lives out his life as not an anti-revelation, but a revelation. Of Jesus, And so remember Samuel and remember that, you know, our English book is named after him for a reason. Uh, when you see Saul trace his disobedience and not in a prideful way, <laughs> in a way that convicts you like it convicted me as I traced it today even. And then when you see David rise up 
uh, see him as the zealous man that he is, the king that reigns and rules and defends his people and is gracious unto the end, uh, even in his sin, repenting truly. Uh, we'll see that in the second part of, uh, of Samuel. Look at these solid rock verses. There is a lot of stuff here. I, I had to parse this down even more than I usually do. And so there, there's more there to dive into, but this would be a great start uh, as you try to get into this book. It's a large one, and there are many, there are many different stories happening and, and different things that are emphasized. But with the context and connection, the solid rock verses, I think we really could dive in in hopefully a more fruitful way as we move forward. Uh, maybe three minutes. Do you all have any questions? One that always comes up, I'm surprised hasn't happened yet. Once saved, always saved, right? The Spirit of the Lord filled Saul. How can it go away? Do you want me to answer that? Um, <laughs> that's one that always comes up. And so I thought maybe, uh, I kind of mentioned it before, but you know, to be honest, if, if you are to take the stance that he's a, a, a non-believer, uh, there's no issue with the Spirit of the Lord filling him because that's not the Spirit of the Lord uh, filling him and staying with him in a salvific sense, like God melting the hearts of believers, right? Uh, this is the Spirit of the Lord filling him in a special sense, giving him perhaps supernatural power, uh, stuff that we might uh, say now, you know, uh, um, you know, oh, he lifted a car. That's crazy. It was his adrenaline. Well, yeah, maybe. Also, it might have been the Lord. Um, we can document adrenaline and how that works, but sometimes you can't document it. And so, you know, there, there's the, these uh, kind of particular moments of miraculousness where uh, if you were to take that stance, you could say, uh, that, that, uh, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Spirit was departing in a once-saved, always-saved deal-breaker. Uh, then, of course, the other side be, well, Samuel, though a great sinner, did have the Spirit of the Lord in him. Uh, perhaps, you know, you might try to interpret uh, those passages where he was repenting. Perhaps you would try to be as, um, as charitable as possible. And, uh, and then maybe uh, you would be able to say, you know, perhaps even in his great sin, uh, God might be so merciful. Those are two stances taken by uh, very serious reformed men that I know at least. So I, uh, I'll leave it at that. Any other questions that, that I don't ask? Samuel, um, I, I think kind of at some point in time thought he was a failure um, when he was trying to tell the people how dangerous it was for them to seek the king and oh, yeah. repercussions. Mm-hmm. We do, and even as faithful as Samuel was to the Lord, the Lord told him, you know, you got to move on. Mm-hmm. got to quit, you know, blaming yourself. It, it is, you know, that, that whole narrative, Rick was talking, if y'all couldn't hear, was, you know, kind of speaking to that reality of Samuel, this mighty man called by God, having the word of God when no one else had for a while, and the people just stopped listening or caring. And you think, man, what happened? But, you know, that, that reality uh, and that kind of playing itself out should humble us uh, and maybe take the responsibility out of our hands. You know, our desire not just me, for all of us, should be to proclaim the good news of Jesus and and to continue to love well and to sacrifice well and to serve well. And yet uh, the responsibility of evangelism, for instance, doesn't fall on my shoulders just like it doesn't fall on yours. Uh, That's the Lord's working in people's lives. We seek to remain diligent and obedient. And yet God is the one who saves. Uh, And and that's that's a key theme of the whole book, right? Is that is that there's something deeper than just the topical playing uh, actions that are playing themselves out. I desire mercy over sacrifice, obedience over the blood of rams. Oh. Yeah. Isn't there an image too with David and Saul with, uh, in the exhibition of God's grace and salvation in that Saul was true to his own na- the, the human nature. Oh yeah. Um, you know, uh, God passed him by. Yeah, and, and yet, yet uh, David uh, wasn't the anointed one because he was uh, of uh, you know he, he was a child mm-hmm. uh, that God did something miraculous in. Yeah, and, and, uh, and that's just a, an exhibit of God's grace mm-hmm. in David's life. Oh yes, and it's even it's even more 
extremized in 2 Samuel when you see Bathsheba. In in one fell swoop, every commandment that has been given, broken by the king himself. Uh, Blasphemy playing itself out on all fronts. And yet, uh, when he is confronted, his repentance has been given to to him uh, and his heart melted uh, by the Lord. And so, uh, yeah, utter utter grace being shed upon even David uh, and and. I think also the sovereignty of God being revealed in Saul, it, it should frighten us. I, we, spoke, we always speak of this, the offensiveness of the gospel is revealed in that as well. Yeah, we, we don't get to see what the apostles in the, in the first century talked about when they were preaching the gospel of grace. And this has to be... This has to be a had to be a series of sermons or something. Oh yeah, or uh, Paul. Or yeah, I mean, you know, Paul. Paul quotes it uh, in Acts. Um, you know, this is used by a scribe that you know Jesus is talking about the greatest commandment. The scribe quotes uh, quotes Samuel saying, "Oh, it's better than than the than those sacrifices." Jesus says, "You are right. You are very close to the kingdom of heaven." Uh, and so, you know, it, it's all it's all spattered throughout the New Testament in, in a way that you're right. Uh, surely would have been informing the people of the time. Yeah, my own. I'm looking at First uh, Samuel 16, where David's anointed. Yes. I mean, God. God obviously uses um, picks. Uh, out of the way people and oh yeah away, but the least of them reckon, I mean what you reckon that Jesse was thinking he didn't bring David to the party yeah <laughs> Yeah, the youngest, I mean, you know, the, the youngest uh, is never remembered. You know, it, it's true now a little bit, right? You know, the youngest never has as many pictures as the firstborn. Uh, it's a kind of a joke we have. But, but you know, the, the reality then, listen, that guy, yeah, he's part of the family. Uh, but but he's, he's not going to get a lot of land. He's not going to carry on the name necessarily. He'll carry it on, but just in a minor way. Uh, David, David was a nobody in the family, for sure. A ruddy, a ruddy young man with beautiful eyes. That's all we know about him. That's the way we see him, but God saw him from the inside out. You're right. Don't look on the outward appearances. Mankind sees people like kings. You're right. God sees them as a, and, and listen. somebody that can do some good. Listen, not only did David, not only did David fell a giant, Saul killed his thousands. David killed his tens of thousands. And so this ruddy young man was one stone-cold warrior. And so, you know, even, even on, you know, on kind of judging a book by its appearances. Listen, uh, choir, y'all need to get going. Judy's going to get mad at me. Um, we, we, I'm going to pray real quick. I'm going to pray, and I'll stay here for a second if we have more questions. I'm not going to get in trouble by Judy. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Y'all tell her I said that too. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that we're able to open up your word. It, it is so deep and there is so much. And so Lord, even with just a tiny little overview uh, where it seems like we were jumping all around because there's so much, God, help us to narrow in, to focus in by your spirit and that you might reveal to us Jesus and what it means not to look at things on the outside, but to see what God sees and to realize that we are saved by grace alone and that we should be in the footsteps of those who sin and are condemned. And yet, uh, by Jesus's good grace and protection and power and sacrifice on our behalf, we are saved. And so, Lord, please help us to continue in it. Help us to be in your word often. In Jesus name. Amen.